So welcome everyone to our live episode. This is our second one of Caffeinated Innovation. Pam Eichendom. Jen Van Dam. And we are the hosts of Innovation Works Caffeinated Innovation Podcast. We had one season so far that we aired in the fall of 2018, mm-hmm. and season two will rejoin us in the spring summer of 2019. And we'll be back better than ever. We will move over to iTunes. Yay! But we are currently on SoundCloud, yes. so you can listen to the episodes there. Of course you can. Uh, go back, listen again, learn a few things, think of a few questions, send us some ideas for the next season. We're going to mix it up a bit. It won't uh, be only entrepreneurs. We're going to talk about talk with other folks in the innovation and entrepreneurial space. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. So today, what we are recording, as we are a live episode, and we'll be pushing the episode out again uh, on our social media channels, on the Inclusive Innovation Team's mm-hmm. channels through the city, and if you all would like to push it out too, we would love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole message here today is we're talking to a group of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. uh, who are representative of a diverse set of companies, represent diverse teams. And we wanted to really get that conversation flowing with this group, with the audience. But before we have the panelists introduce themselves, Jen and I are going to share a little bit more about ourselves, and I'm going to let Jen go first. Yeah. So I lead digital marketing and community engagement at uh, InnovationWorks. And I don't know if you all know about InnovationWorks. Okay, some of you. So InnovationWorks is a seed stage investor in technology companies. We um, have an office in the north side, and we also run Alpha Lab and Alpha Lab Gear, uh, which are startup accelerators here in Pittsburgh. And uh, we have programming and events and things that are always open to the public that um, if you get on our mailing list on our website, uh, you'll know about them. And so I lead the digital marketing and community engagement. I also am a co-founder of Invest in Her, which is the first and only um, all-women pitch competition in Pittsburgh, so uh, we're really hoping someone else will start one and give us a run for our money. Um, (laughs) And I'm also a part of the Pittsburgh Venture Capital Association's Emerging Leaders Board, um, and I lead the Lesbian to Tech chapter here in Pittsburgh, too. And Jen, before you turn it over to me, because we're going to ask each of our panels this question, too. Tell me, what is your favorite form of caffeine? And this is a thing for us. We like to talk about our caffeine choices with ourselves and with the panel. I have a great story that shows my humanity. Uh, So this morning, (laughs) I was drinking a turmeric latte. I have this turmeric matcha tea, if you listen to our first season. It's kind of bougie, it's expensive, it comes from New York, but it's from a black woman entrepreneur and I wanted to support and I just love it. Um, I was drinking it this morning and spilled it on myself, so my shirt is turned backwards, but I feel like this is a good look. <laughs> it's a like great if look. if I took this off, I have a pocket in the back. Uh, I thought it was the right side. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think it looks great. <laughs> so Pam. So my name is Pam Eichenbaum, as I mentioned before, and I am on our business development team at Innovation Works. I do everything from our corporate relations, community relations, government relations work. So work closely with the folks from the city, hi Todd, uh, pretty regularly, as well as folks from the state and federal government, and uh, co-host to Jen, of course, on our lovely podcast. And a lot of the work I do 
day in and day out, community-wise, uh, someone's ringing, uh, <laughs> uh, has to do with some of our urban and rural work, engaging the rural communities in southwestern Pennsylvania in the innovation economy. Innovation Works, as Jen said, we're one of the we're one of the seed investors in the region, and we have two business accelerators. But our charter actually supports all nine counties in southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, there's two others that some other economic development agencies and organizations also support. We are part of a statewide network, so we support the nine kind of most southern, southwestern corner pocket. And working with the rural communities in the region is really wonderful for me uh, and for other members of our team because there's a lot of great potential and opportunity outside of the city of Pittsburgh. Of course, Pittsburgh is the hub of the region, but we have a, a breadth of manufacturers and supply chain uh, groups in the area that can really support the startups and help them prototype and then scale here in the region. So that's a big part of my work. And as far as our diversity work, I really find a lot of joy in, in working with our rural communities to, to bring them into the fold. Uh, and so outside of work, I am a partner and a board member of Social Venture Partners, which helps support nonprofits. We're a nonprofit accelerator and have gotten to work with a lot of folks who uh, are participating and attending the in entire Inclusive Innovation Summit this week. In fact, if you were at the opening at Creative Mornings this morning, Walter Lewis was, uh, uh, is with Homewood Children's Village, and I got to coach him a few years ago when he was participating in Social Venture Partners. So it's great to see a lot of those folks grow and, and thrive. And then uh, I'm also on the board of Repair the World Pittsburgh, and we've done uh, a lot of work around social justice and innovation. Uh, which is a lot of fun, and uh, more on that soon. I think we're coming up with a 2019 version uh, of our previously done Social Justice Innovation Weekend, so stay tuned. Mm -hmm. uh, and before we move to the panelists, I, I think for us in, in particular, Innovation Works, uh, as I said, we're all nine counties. We invest in startups. Uh, it's important for us to recognize our commitment to diversity mm -hmm. and inclusion. That's the point of our panel as well. More than 50% of the companies that Innovation Works supports uh, have founders that are women or, or people of color. And that's really something that we are proud of and something that we have prioritized over the years and continue to push forward uh, and to make sure we're reaching every member of our community. Uh, so just wanted to have that be our jumping off point for our, our group of panelists. And before I do, I'm going to share my tea, uh, as I almost <laughs> forgot. So my favorite Literally form tea. of caffeine <laughs> is tea. Uh, see, I just think caffeine is tea. Uh, so Earl Grey tea is my favorite form. In fact, I'm drinking a creme Earl Grey that I found at a market in Philadelphia. Uh, and it's great. I just love tea, uh, <laughs> all kinds of tea, Earl Grey in particular. So if you want to make an Earl Grey dessert or if you go somewhere exotic and you find tea and you want to bring it back, you'll be my best friend. Uh, it's that's how you can get on the podcast. Yeah, yes, <laughs> that is your that is your capital here. Uh, get on the podcast with tea. There we go. <laughs> anyway, so let us get started with our wonderful panelists. Thank you all for joining us. I am going to jump into the middle here, and Anne, I'm going to ask you to get started. Uh, if you could introduce yourself. Of course, give your favorite form of caffeine. Don't forget about that. And just a quick overview of your company and what you've done. And I know that you've had a few companies, so if you want to go through a few of them. 
I'll start with caffeine. I don't drink caffeine, so sorry. I don't have a lot of time. And that's okay. Uh, I just don't fight nature, uh, so I try to get enough sleep. And I don't. I'm not a morning person, so I don't force that. I get my most most productive and creative work in at night, so it works for me. Anyway, this is herbal tea. It's very good. It's Egyptian licorice. I support and, herbal tea. Yeah. <laughs> so. Um, I met Jen years ago at Alpha Lab um, when I was part of the first cohort of Alpha Lab Gear with my company, Romeo Delivers. And I launched that in 2013, I think, when mm-hmm. subscription services were all the rage. Everyone was all about recurring revenue. Everyone thought that was like where everything was going. There was a lot of them. There's a lot of really successful ones. Mine was not one of those. Um, so, so our idea was that um, men needed ways to be more thoughtful and romantic, and we would provide those on a monthly basis. And so we set out a subscription service to help guys be more thoughtful and romantic. And it turns out guys really don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> it was women that wanted that, and the guys who were actually the ones who bought it didn't really care. But I'm, I'm – exaggerating but really like the guys who we had as customers loved it and their wives loved it or girlfriends but what happened like guys we learned that guys don't really talk to each other about that sort of thing so it didn't scale it was really hard to get guys to talk to each other about that sort of thing like we're not going to change that psychology and we also found that um and this is kind of like interesting that i've carried with me like the people who need your product the most are probably not going to be your customer so it was like the guys who really were terrible were not signing up because they're like, I'm good. They didn't know they had a problem or they did not care. Where the guys who were already kind of romantic um, were like all about it. But they were already the guys who were giving flowers and like recognizing that it was an issue. So it was just really interesting. But we found that we had all these products that people really loved. So we took those and now we sell them to retailers across the country. And that works really well for us. Um a little bit too well. I'm trying to kill that company because I'm working on something new. I love all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite like gift to give people. <laughs> so uh, I'm working on a new company called uh, Loopla, and you can find it at loopla.com. And we're just launching our alpha on Monday, which is really exciting. You can sign up for the wait list right now, but you can't actually sign up for the platform yet. But our, our hypothesis is that people really are looking for ways to connect with each other but the ways that are available right now aren't really meeting everyone's needs. So we're trying to be the helpful social platform where we do not send you ads. We do not track you. It's just about helping each other in your community, building your community and helping each other solve life together. So what are the things that we all have problems with? Like I need to find a contractor. I need some place to get my hair cut. I need a good attorney. All these questions that we really only, we don't trust Google. We trust our friends. And what the platform does is creates this very, it's closed private way to communicate with your group of friends. And then we store all that information like a database almost, but like much more fun looking. So you can search for it later. So uh, I was just talking to someone today about um, Colorado. I, I used an example, like a friend of mine sent me this email about Colorado with all these great hikes and vegan restaurants because I'm vegan. And when I went there, I was like, these are amazing. And none of these came up in Google. Um, the only way I would get that information is from a friend. And he was like, I'm going to Colorado. I want that list. So this is like the perfect use case. So like if we were in a loop together, 
we would have all that information. Maybe he didn't need it last year, but now he really needs it and he could look it up and find it. So that's what I'm doing with Loopla. Awesome. Thank you. Hi, I'm George Cook. I'm co-founder and CEO of Honeycomb Credit. Uh, I am also a tea drinker like Pam, uh, but I, I will go a step further. Uh, and my favorite form of caffeine is actually kombucha. So for those of you who aren't familiar, it's fermented tea. So I'm going to one-up Pam there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, give a, I'll give a shout out to... Oh, like the classic, you know. <laughs> I'll, I'll give a shout out to one of my favorite local businesses, Red Star Kombucha, just down the street here. They're actually an alumni of Honeycomb Credit. Uh, so what Honeycomb Credit is, it's a platform that lets locally owned small businesses borrow expansion loans from their own loyal customers and fans. Uh, I've been in financial services my whole career, and I, I noticed that there's this massive consolidation in the banking industry, and that banks really aren't lending to small businesses anymore. And that is having a disproportionately negative impact on, on Main Street communities, um, whether those are rural or urban or suburban. Uh, and, and it's really kind of destroying the spirit of entrepreneurship uh, across the country and especially across the Midwest. Uh, and so that, that's something that, that was really bothering me. So my co-founder and I, we, we put our heads together and we said, how can we, how can we unlock capital for these growing small businesses that aren't quite bankable yet? while at the same time creating opportunities for anyone to invest in their own local economy. So if you think about it, you can get on your phone right now and you can put your entire life savings in, in your Charles Schwab app and some company on the NASDAQ you've never heard of before, and no one's going to stop you from doing that. But if you want to invest in your favorite coffee shop or, or your favorite kombucha brewery, uh, there, there's no way to do that. Even though you know the business owner, you know they're, you know they're a good business, you know they have a, a good trajectory, and you know that a, a $30,000, $40,000, piece of capital could go a really long way for them, right? Um, so that, that's what we're doing at Honeycomb. Um, did I miss anything? No, we have more questions for you cool. later. All right. That's good. <laughs> Clarence, how about next? My name is Clarence Carlos. I'm the CEO and founder of RC21X, and my favorite coffee is from McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> I like to buy everybody in my office coffee from McDonald's. It's cheap and core opposite, cost a dollar. Small, medium, and large, and I like two Splendas and two creams, and yeah. I'm fine. Chris, is that so, right? <laughs> there you go. So um, RC21X started out of um, the need for being able to establish data um, to help out somebody to understand where their brain performance is. And I started the company because of the unexpected death of a very close friend's son. Um, he, had, he sneezed sitting in the stands watching um, two other teams play a game of football. And um, he started to get sick. And when he went into the restroom, the police and EMS thought he was on drugs. And his teammates said, from Central Catholic said, he's not that kind of kid. We just you know, came here to watch the game. And when they took him to um, Forbes Regional Metro Hospital, they eventually started to check him out and triage him. And um, Kyle was um, still not doing well. His parents showed up and they eventually ran a CT scan. They didn't see anything and they sent him home. So when they sent Kyle home and they recommended he see his primary care physician the next day, um, Kyle was sleeping. He couldn't wake up the next morning and get out of bed. So they rushed him to the hospital, Presbyterian Hospital, and uh, they began to triage him again. And through the course of triaging, they were running CT scans and checking him out. In the course of two days, he died from a stroke. And when they ran the autopsy on his body, it was he had a stroke from ischemic, which is he wasn't getting blood flow to the brain because the sneeze causes vertebral artery to collapse. 
from a sneeze. And the, the purpose of starting the company was to be able to have data that's on the cloud by playing our tool on at any given time or day and having that data at the hands of your phone that you can share with your physician or your family member or your anybody that's important to you. And um, from that, we developed an app called the Roberto app, named after Roberto Clemente, because Roberto Clemente to us is humanitarian. And um, he traveled, you know, trying to help save lives. And he died doing that. Mm -hmm. So we figured um, we're going to name it after Roberto because we're going to consider our tool uh, just like he was in um, trying to save lives. And right now we're in 140 countries being downloaded. Um, we're on platforms with physical therapy companies being reimbursed for. Um, we're talking to quite a few insurance companies that are looking at us as a wellness tool, but we also deal in corporations that look at us as a performance tool before employees start work for the day. So when we started exercising here and stretching and starting blood to flow, that's an important thing because it causes blood to flow to your brain. And 25% of the blood in your body goes to the number one organ, which is your brain. So there's no more important organ in your body than the brain. And we really stress and want people to understand that monitoring your brain performance on any given day can help <coughs> save your life. And um, I got a quick story to tell about, um, I was telling a few people in here this earlier, back in November um, 12th, I started getting numbness in my feet and my legs started to collapse. Um, thank God that I was in the business that I'm in. Over a course of about four weeks, I got so bad I couldn't even get up off the couch. And I play my Roberto app daily on my phone. Well, I couldn't do the sit-stand tap game. So my numbers were dropping and it was red because we do red, green, or blue. Red, you're out of your normal ranges. Green, you're within your normal ranges. Blue, you have a new normal high. And I, my doctor said, well, I want you to get your blood work done. So I go do what he says. I get my cholesterol checked, my A1C checked, my vitamin D's checked, all these things they tell you to do to practice wellness and to see if you're okay. I do all that stuff. It comes back. My A1C is a little high. So they figure, oh, you're getting neuropathy. You got type 2 diabetes. My doctor says, hey, you need to lose weight. You're getting fat. I said, oh, we know that. <laughs> but so I, I go on a diet, get my A1C in order. Things are, you know, hopefully things are going to turn around. I continue to get worse. Eventually, I have to go to the emergency room at Allegheny Health Network. And a neurologist comes in. And he does this uh, test on me for reflex. He tells me to put my hands in here. He smacks my middle finger and my thumb's doing this. He does it to me out my other hand, and my girlfriend's sitting there, and she's a nurse. She said, what kind of reflex test is this? She said, I've never seen that before. He said, it's a test that we know we need to go get an MRI. That thumb should not move. He told her to put her hand there. He smacks her finger. Her thumb doesn't move. I said, wow, this is really strange. So I go get my MRI done. MRI's done, and um, I get a call from uh, Dr. DeMeo, who's the chairman of orthopedic surgery at Allegheny Health Network. He's a close friend of mine. He says, Clarence, you're not going home tonight. I said, okay, tell me what's going on, Pat. He says, well, your five, six, and seven are bulging discs, and your C4 is puncturing your spinal cord. He said, so that's why your feet are numb and your legs numb. It's not your A1C or anything else. It's, that's why you can't perform your, your task on, your, on the tool. So the next day, I get my, the next morning, I get my surgery. I get emergency surgery. Finally, I'm starting to walk. I still have a little numbness in my feet from stenosis and being numb and in my leg. And it, it goes back to what I said. Okay, you could do all the other things, but what are you doing to check your performance? What do you have when you show up at your doctor's office? Does your doctor ever ask you, how's your brain doing today? 
You couldn't even give him that. He could tell you zero to 10. You don't have a way of knowing that. Well, that's what we've done. We made it through the Roberto app, an easy way to show your doctor, this is how I'm performing today off a validated test that we wrote algorithms for that'll be in conduct inducive of what your numbers are to tell where your brain's performing. So that's the story. Thanks, Clarence. Uh, so my name's Emily. I drink black coffee. Um, <laughs> no sugars, nothing else, and as much of it as I can get usually. Um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Shine Registry. We are a platform for women who are starting businesses to ask for the things that they need in the style of a wedding registry. So the idea is if you can ask for a gravy boat when you're getting married, there's all this stuff that you need when you're getting your company off the ground. You should be able to ask for that too. Uh, this got started a few years ago when a friend of mine got engaged and our other friend was starting a company. For the friend who got engaged, we knew exactly how to show up as her friends. We went to brunch, we organized the bridal shower, the bachelorette, all the games, all the, had a lot of fun, spent a lot of money. It was great. But meanwhile, our other friend is, is also doing this huge life milestone and we had no idea how to support her. We had no idea how to celebrate with her. Uh, and she wasn't really sure where to ask either. And so that's where we've come in. Uh, we've been around for about a year now. And since 2018, a little over 100, well, it's 120 as of yesterday, I think. <laughs> uh, founders have signed up for the site and created profiles. And over 1,000 fulfillments have come through the site. Um, our founders represent a very broad range of entrepreneurship. Um, there are a lot of sole proprietors, a lot of freelancers. Uh, there's also small business owners. Uh, my friend May, who's the fifth generation owner of her family business in, in Chinatown, uh, she's on the site. Um, and we also have some high tech, high growth companies on there too. Uh, I always like to mention Caroline Caselli from Haven Connect. She just closed a $2.4 million round. So we're all like mm. very happy for her. <laughs> Hopefully she sends some champagne our way too. But um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, folks are asking for a broad range of things that also um, are representative of uh, the diversity of companies. Um, this includes network connections, it includes pro bono support uh, on the legal end, um, it also includes equipment costs and things like that. And so we're building in crowdfunding tools on people's profiles so people uh, can give directly to the folks in their lives um, and uh, among other things. And so yeah, a lot of exciting stuff mm -hmm. happening and I'm really happy to be on this panel with all these incredible folks too. Yay. So Emily, I'll let you keep the mic. So <laughs> let's talk about Pittsburgh and um, what I know you're not from here. A couple of you are from here or from the region, but what brought you here to Pittsburgh and what keeps you here? So I came for grad school. Um, I uh, got a very generous scholarship from Carnegie Mellon to do my master's there and was toying around with the idea of starting a company, um, was able to use grad school as uh, sort of a testing ground um, and a place where I was able to find a lot of early stage resources. Uh, we were a part of the student faculty incubator at Carnegie Mellon called Project Olympus, um, and they've continued to be really supportive with free office space and there are office dogs there that I rely on for stress management. Um, <laughs> uh, I, and I think that that was a big reason why we, it was a big reason why we stayed is that we, we were able to find early stage support um, when this really was an idea and we didn't have much built yet. I think alongside that, um, there is a really supportive community in Pittsburgh um, that we see in the startup space, but also in uh, the work that folks are doing to support small businesses. Honeycomb is a great example of that. Um, Kiva Small Business Loans uh, and the activity in Pittsburgh is, is also a really good example of that. 
Um, for domestic activity, Kiva sees the highest rate of engagement in the Pittsburgh region, uh, which is a huge testament to the folks uh, who are on the ground here for Kiva, but also I think a testament to Pittsburgh at large being really enthusiastic and really uh, showing up for other folks in the area um, who are starting businesses. And then just one last thing, I mean, our, our users, like I said, um, are founders of all different sorts of businesses. When I talk about shine registry in coastal cities in New York or San Francisco, the assumption is immediately that we're building this to bridge the funding gap um, for high tech, high growth startups, which is very important work and extremely necessary, um, but it's also not what our, uh, it, it's not our only intention in, in the conversation that we're trying to raise around uh, women in leadership and supporting women and ambition. Um, and I think that we've been able to broaden that or been able to respect the breadth of our of the conversation we want to have um, by doing it here. Thank you. I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you're here. It's good. <laughs> George, what about you? So I know that your family, I'm trying to think of your demo day pitch. Your family is from the region. Um, you have ties here, but you aren't from from here. Right, yeah. So I grew up in Somerset, out in the sticks. Um, <laughs> if you know where Seven Springs is, that was my first job. I was a ski checker at Seven Springs. Um, but I, I had moved away for a long time. I was in D.C., I was in Chicago, Los Angeles. Uh, my co-founder and I actually met in New Hampshire in grad school. And we were trying to figure out where to take this new startup. And we, we did a little road show. We, we went to, we obviously came to Pittsburgh. Uh, we went to Detroit. We went to Chicago, Kansas City. Uh, what we found was the, the the funding gap we were trying to address was most acute in the Great Lakes and the industrial Midwest. And so we were trying to find the right market. Uh, we didn't want to be a Silicon Valley company trying to solve a problem for middle America. It just didn't feel very authentic. Uh, so we, we came to Pittsburgh and met the Alpha Lab team and just fell in love with Alpha Lab and the support that they provided uh, and, and the community as a whole. And so that that's what brought us to Pittsburgh. And uh, we, we've stayed because just the amount of talent that's here. I mean, the financial services talent, obviously, is here, but also the technology talent. Um, and, you know, I think the network, the technology network in Pittsburgh is, is just perfect for us because it's large enough that there's someone who has solved the problem that you're working on right now, but small enough that you can pick up the phone and call them. And that, that's really powerful, and you don't get that in a lot of places. Well, I came here for Carnegie Mellon also and stayed. Uh, except for leaving for my master's degree for a couple of years. But um, yeah, I didn't expect to stay here. Mm -hmm. But one thing, it seems like one thing in life led to another and here I am still. So, and I don't plan on leaving anytime soon. I, I will also second that I fell in love with IW and I found so much support from not just Alpha Lab and Alpha Lab Gear, but the whole community that they kind of, I feel like they foster this whole community of entrepreneurship that was what originally got me very interested in, in starting a business, but also has been really helpful in staying. So, yeah. I was born and raised here. I went away to college at West Virginia University, um, played football for a little while down there, and um, I took a commission in the United States Army, so I've been all over the place. And um, Pittsburgh's home for me. You know, it's it's simple, it's easy, and 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 what the the field that we're in is the epicenter. I mean, brain health, um, 
you know, injuries to the brain, anything to do with the brain that starts anywhere starts in Pittsburgh and ends here. And um, I mean, just like you've seen the movie Concussion. And um, so we built our tool around brain performance, even though our partner is University of Texas Arlington and the Human Performance Institute. Pittsburgh is the epicenter when it comes to brain, the brain. So we're here and we're dealing with a lot of organizations from um, Allegheny Health Network, which we're doing pilots. Um, we've, they've been really open to working with us and on our team. Uh, Dr. Joseph Maroon, who is the Steelers team neurosurgeon, uh, he and I meet on weekends. He lives right over in Swickley, right around the corner from me. And um, I don't have a good, no reason to go nowhere else but be here and be at home at and deal with my people that are really helping me out. So now that you've all shared with us what drew you to Pittsburgh or what kept you here, and so have you felt as entrepreneurs, either very early stage, mid-stage, later, starting something new, has Pittsburgh been, been inclusive to you, your company, and, and the mission of your company? Um, yes, it, it has, and it, it goes back to like I, what I said at first. Um, you know, I started the company here because of what happened to a close friend's son. And as we started to go down that road and, you know, you look at all the things that are going on here um, with the first law firm involved in this, um, the concussion settlement with the NFL, which was Goldberg, Persky and White. Um, they they were they hired us first to be able to screen these guys before they took took a full blown neuropsych evaluation. And our, our scores were in the 95 percentile that I could detect with our tool, with RC21X, if you're gonna qualify in that settlement. So all the attorneys around the country, the Herb Robbins Cloud, Zimmerman Reed, and um, the Goldberg, Persky and Whites hired us. And we currently right now monitor over 800, closer to a thousand retired NFL football players that are in a concussion settlement. And we were able to save these law firms a lot of money, spending $7,000, $8,000 to conduct that. They just paid us a, a smaller fee and we would screen them and they could stay at home. And we would know when their scores came out that, hey, listen, this person's a goat, this person's a no-go. And they knew 28% of them were gonna qualify, so they didn't wanna spend that money on all these thousands of retired NFL players. So this has been really conducive for me here and, and the people that I'm close to in the law firms and the institutions to really help us push our efforts forward. Well, I'm just trying to think in terms of Romeo Delivers, um... I haven't done the research, but I'm pretty sure Pittsburgh is not the most romantic city in the world. <laughs> so maybe not the best place to start that company. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, we were welcomed with open arms by the men of Pittsburgh. Um, we did our user user studies at the Home Depot in East Liberty. <laughs> and we would go over there and just ask guys like, so what do you do to be romantic? And they just kind of gave us this look. <laughs> Um, but I, and I'm trying to think of in terms of Loopla, um, there is just an incredible uh, community here, especially of Carnegie Mellon grads, and that ecosystem has been really helpful to us. And uh, a lot of just really great talent coming out of all the universities in Pittsburgh. So in that way, um, very helpful. Yeah, I think building on Anne's point, I think that the technology ecosystem here has been very inclusive and welcoming. I think Pittsburgh is 
it's not Silicon Valley. Everyday people in Pittsburgh might not be as open to trying new technology, trying new things, uh, which means we have to work twice as hard. It means that we have to really demonstrate our value proposition. I think it makes us better technology companies for it. Um, I think you know sometimes companies in the coast, they, they will create a product and they'll have a lot of success in the coast, but then they have a hard time scaling that out nationally. Uh, whereas here, I think if, if you can grow out of Pittsburgh, you've, you've found that product market fit and I think you, you can kind of scale that traction better. George, I have a follow-up question, uh, and I think this applies to everyone, but in particular with Honeycomb, your customer is not just within the city, it's it's the entire region, and you're looking to support Main Street businesses in Pittsburgh, in Somerset, in, uh, in Waynesburg, you, you name it. So have those communities also been open and inviting to this kind of unique approach to to financing small business and to really re-engaging main streets. Yeah, so I think I think whenever you talk to folks in, in economic development circles, they just immediately get it, right? They they understand the value. They I think everyone you talk to understands the, the funding gap that exists for Main Street small businesses, and I think a lot of people uh, understand the value of getting people invested in their own community. If you're putting money to work on your Main Street, you're going to take ownership of that community, of that business, and you're going to treat it with respect, and you're going to to really be committed to, to the the long term uh, growth and, and and prosperity of that community, which is which is really exciting. Um, I think in terms of small businesses, they they are inherently busy people, right? They're they're running businesses, um, and, and so uh, you know, demonstrating the value proposition, uh, it, it's it's not been an immediate you know, thing, especially in, in rural communities uh, where where you know, crowdfunding is still perhaps a, a new concept. So kind of going into investment crowdfunding and crowdfinancing um, is a little bit, not I don't want to say a harder sell, but there's more education involved there. And so, you know, we have to get smarter about how we educate um, small business owners, how we educate everyday people and, and convince them that they they can be investors, that they can invest in their own community. And, and that investment doesn't have to be some weird 401k thing that they, they you know, that it's happening on Wall Street. You can invest in Main Street. Um, and so, yeah, the, I think uh, for us, there's absolutely been a little bit of an education gap because we are doing something so new. Uh, but that said, I think learning how to educate consumers and small businesses has, has made us a better company. Uh, so I think I can speak to... Um the experience of starting a company by and for women in Pittsburgh mm. um, or, you know, in the world. <laughs> uh, and I say in the world because I think the conversation around gender equity um, has changed a lot over the past years, or at least the vocabulary around it has become a lot more familiar to a lot of people. Um, when we started uh, talking about Shine Registry, it was 2016 and the Me Too movement was just starting up. Um, mm. A lot of the early responses I got to early pitches were things like, are women even interested in entrepreneurship? Like, is there enough of a market for this? <laughs> Podcast listeners, Jen just rolled her eyes. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, I thought you should know. Um, and and I think that, you know, it's, it's it, the gut reaction on my part too is also an eye roll, but um, you go to these events and there aren't that many female founders. So it does, it does become a natural question in some ways. Um, but I think what's happened over the past few years is uh, the sense of urgency around um, supporting women in leadership and and having more active um, and action-oriented conversations around it um, has shifted. And so I'm happy to say I don't get that question very much anymore, if at all, uh, which is nice, uh, in Pittsburgh or, or elsewhere. Okay. Now, are you seeing uh, 
Are you seeing interest and conversation among men and women now about the significance of shine? Yes. I think for women, the conversations that I'm having a lot, or some of the more um, interesting conversations I'm having are with women who've started companies and have also gotten married and are able to speak to the experience of, well, everyone showed up for me when I was getting married, but when I, and was spending hundreds of dollars, you know, attending my wedding on this like KitchenAid that I asked for or whatever. Uh, but when I was starting my company, no one, no one was there. Um, and, it, and I think there's a lot about entrepreneurship that is singularly uh can be singularly isolating and that community support becomes really important because of that so i think that's something that's of interest and relatable regardless but i think it is a little bit more um just because of social pressures and, and social context um it is more highlighted uh for female founders in, in some ways um and I, I won't speak for every female founder but the ones who are using my site, I think, are appreciating it. Um, as far as men who are, who are trying to understand how to show up, um, I think that uh, there's a lot of credit owed to um, folks who have been really vocal in the advocacy space um, about highlighting experiences. I know I have had um, a lot of really interesting conversations over the past few years where male friends have said like, wait, is this something that's happened to you? And I'm like, yeah, last Wednesday, yeah. Uh, whether it's about catcalling or um, mansplaining or, or whatever it might be. Um, and so, and yeah, and I think like to bring the point back to Pittsburgh, um, I'm also standing on the shoulders of a lot of women who have started really incredible companies and uh, have done so in, in ways that are really unapologetically feminist, I think. Um, Prototype PGH is the first one to come to mind because our tagline yeah. is that they're a feminist makerspace. <laughs> and they showed a lot of early, uh, early traction, a lot of um, really excited interest. And that was happening around the same time that I was starting to talk about wanting to start Shine Registry. And so I think um, having that sort of pattern matching happen and having people um, sort of create more proof of concept around uh, like if we build something by and for women, people will show up and it will be um, successful is also really helpful in that too. Thank you. So you're all entrepreneurs and I'm thinking about, <clears throat> we talk about entrepreneurship and we, we, I think a lot of people are looking at you like, wow, like you're doing this crazy, amazing thing and you're building your own company and you're getting to serve different people. But I want to get into the like failure piece of being an entrepreneur and having a company and what that looks like and what that feels like and your encouragement though to other entrepreneurs how they should be thinking about failure because it's real and it happens and I know many of you have bounced back from it I'll talk about, I'll talk about failure. failure. I, love, I love talking about Was failure. Was I looking directly? I have, lot, I, know. I have a lot of experience in this area. Um, so I was just talking to a friend of mine about this a couple days ago, uh, Mark DeSantis from Robotics, and we were talking about um, once you've failed a few times, because he and I are both old enough to fail many, many times. Um, sorry, Mark. Um, <laughs> that you st when you stop worrying about failing, knowing that you're going to fail and that you're going to be fine makes you unstoppable. It's kind of scary. Like when you meet someone who's gone through a lot in their lives and, you know, whether it's like personal or business, you should fear them because if they are still like picking themselves up, 
they are strong. Like you learn so much from those things. So it's almost like once you get a few of those under your belt, um, it allows you to focus on what's really important in your company and take bigger risks because you're not afraid. You really have nothing to lose because you know you could lose it all and you would still get up the next day and do something new. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, failure is really powerful. Um, and it's hard to say like, oh, go fail. But it's more like, oh, go do things that are really scary and might not work. And at first you are going to care mm -hmm. when you fail or you'll be embarrassed. Or like I remember at Alphalab Gear, like – you know, you're pitching your company and like, you like really put yourself out there. Like, I don't know if you guys have this experience of like, once you like announce that you're actually, it's one thing like to say to your friends, like, Oh, I'm thinking about this idea. Once you announce you're doing this and like actually create a company and maybe go through an accelerator, you're really out there for everyone to judge. Mm -hmm. And it's a little bit scary, but once you do that and, um, fail a couple of times, it really doesn't matter anymore. Anyway, powerful. How it may be. <laughs> yeah. Well, failure is a, a part of success to me. And um, I failed a lot. Okay. Um, and every time I fail, that gap gets closed more and more in the, in the industry that I'm in. Because you know what? I, me, in my background, I'm not expected to be here. And, mm -hmm. and, and look where we are today. So, you know, if there's no pain, there's no story to tell. So I got a story to tell and it's a very interesting story. And, um, you know, my teammates and all of us, we, we, we understand that we have something good and, and we're really getting great traction. So we, we have our failures there daily, you know, in things, I mean, they're, they're little things now because we don't look at them as failures. We look at them. Okay. We've learned another lesson, but just a lot of people starting a business, you know, it's, it's not being in business and being an entrepreneur is not for, you know, the week. You got to be able to be strong and, and failing is a part of succeeding. So fail, learn about what you're doing. It's going to make you nothing but a better person. That's all it is. And as I said, you know, when I first started this, I mean, I, I, my phone didn't ring. Now it doesn't stop ringing. I don't stop getting hit on LinkedIn. I, mean, I got doctors all over the country, around the world saying, hey, this tool's interesting. I need to talk to you about it. So that was all part of that failure, man. All those years and failing and finally it's our turn to succeed is I, I encourage you or anybody that just welcome it and, and look past it because it's, it's going to be a story at the end of it. And if you really believe in what you're doing, you'll succeed. It's up to you to believe in it. When we talk about failure, we're also talking about risk and how mm -hmm. risky it is to be an entrepreneur. And I think the one thing that I want to add to this is that the, the, the bigger risk is not doing the thing and not fully showing up to do that thing. Um, so regardless of what, uh, what failures you come across when trying to do that, um, like you're avoiding the bigger mistake, I think, of, of not fully going in. I mean, again, it's different for everybody and, you know, you'll have to make those calculations for yourself. Um, but that's at least the thing that um, I try to remind myself of if I'm nervous about doing a podcast or like whatever. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> so just, just two things to add. My, my father always says when you fail, you've already paid for the lesson. So you might as well learn from it. 
Um, so I think I think that's kind of a common theme here. If you if you failed, you have to just make sure that you, you dust yourself off and you actually learn from that failure. And, and then the other thing, you know, we're talking about the lows, right? And I, I think one thing is with entrepreneurship in general that the lows are lower. I mean, that sinking feeling in your gut when something goes wrong, but the highs are higher. I mean, that's the trade-off, right? And and uh, when when you have those successes, the the, the pride and the ownership you can have over that, um, it, it balances out. So, George, keep the microphone because I have a question for the group, but I want to start with you. So, uh, we've learned a bit about each of your connections to Pittsburgh, whether you felt inclusive or included and, and welcomed and being able to grow your company, and also a little bit now about failure and how that's propelled you to the next level and really fueled success. Your success, though, is, of course, dependent on the team around you. Mm -hmm. So would love to learn from each of you a little bit about the teams you've decided to bring in to support the mission of each of your companies, and also maybe any resources or fellowship programs uh, that have come in to support your programs as well. And of course, I'm, I'm starting with you because I know that you and I have a connection with Venture for America. So uh, would love to hear a little bit more about the team that you've built around you and then what those resources might be from others. Sure. So I, I think, um, you know, in, in terms of inclusiveness, culture is just so critical. Uh, and, and I think culture starts at hiring. Uh, and, and so I'll speak quickly to, to kind of Venture for America. And that, that's been a phenomenal resource for us in terms of getting really energetic, bright young people uh, from in incredibly diverse backgrounds to Pittsburgh. Um, so we've been we've been hiring through Venture for America, and, and it's just a phenomenal program. Uh, it's basically they, they go out and find the, the best and brightest, uh, largely from coastal schools, uh, and match them with high-growth technology startups, primarily in the Midwest and the South. So communities where a lot of uh, well, communities that are often experiencing the brain drain, uh, and, and so I'm I'm just really excited about Venture for America and, and what they're doing for you know kind of uh, retaining and and bringing talent to uh, mid major cities in the Midwest and South, uh, and and I think they do a great job of of sourcing fantastic diverse talent. So that's been a major source for us. Um, you know I think uh, kind of building on that a little bit, one of the things that that we've had a lot of success with in in our hiring is. Uh, we we have a homework assignment for all of the candidates that that are coming in for a final round interview, uh, and we give them a, a a real problem that they would need to solve at Honeycomb, and we make them complete that homework assignment before they come in, and that is blind. Um, we we don't share the candidate's name, their background, their resume, anything with the rest of the team. Uh, and, and it gives this really fresh look at the candidate, and we see their output as opposed to, to their input. Um, and that, that's just one way that we're trying to kind of screen out some of those inherent biases that we all have um, so that we can make sure that we're bringing in diverse candidates. Um, and then, you know, I think kind of continuing along in, in terms of inclusivity, making sure that you maintain a flexible culture has been something that's been really good for us. Um, I always cite the example, our, our COO uh, had a daughter uh, about a year ago now. She's um, so adorable. <laughs> she's awesome. And, and, you know, I think a lot of larger companies really struggle with, you know, how do you support young parents as they want to continue to grow in their role? 
Um, and being a small, scrappy startup, we, we've been flexible enough that, that our COO, he can work from home. Um, he can bring a mall into to the office periodically, which is why, why Jen knows him. Um, and you know, having that flexibility has allowed him to continue to grow and also his wife as well. Um, and, and so I think that that's really important as, as we think about um, kind of our, our culture. Thank you. Anyone else? I'll just second on the Venture for America. We um, have also recruited from Venture for America and it's worked out really well for us. So I would encourage people to check it out, although then you'll be competing for the same people that we want to hire. So I actually maybe, think they're in the midst of the application process yeah, now. So. Maybe don't look at them, <laughs> um, especially for engineers. Um, but I also want to say we didn't really talk about co-founders and I feel like it's worth yeah. noting. I didn't really um, talk about my co-founder for Loopla and I think that like is the most critical piece for me only because I founded Romeo Delivers without a co-founder and I knew that I didn't really want to do that again. It was kind of, it was very hard. And um, Henry Schneiderman is my co-founder and we are about as opposite as you can get, which is perfect. Um, finding a co-founder who is very different, has complementary skills is really hard, but also really good because you tend to be drawn to people like you. And in terms of diversity, you know, you really want to find someone who's very different and thinks very differently. And I think we disagree on many, many things. I won't say everything because that would be, you know, we're both nice people, like how to treat people, but on a lot of things we disagree. And that makes us, our decisions so much better because we know when we come to an agreement that it must be really strong because it's coming from two very different, um, viewpoints. So, I just can't stress that enough. Like starting with that core, like a co-founder or co-founding team that works really well together is really, really important. Well, my, my partners, um, I've made them my partners because as we started our company out, you know, you don't have all the funding in place. So I, I went out to find people that really believed in a mission that I was after. So they're all co-founders to me. And they're all partners because they all share an equity of the company. And, and when you're starting a company out like that, that you know could potentially have a big upside down that back end, that you know you want to make these people feel inclusive and in, in a part of the team. We're, we only have eight full-time employees that are in the office every day. Our whole team is very diverse. Okay, and 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 I I think it's very important that you have a diverse environment. And that you can go out and just talk to different organizations, different communities, and really relate to them. So diversity is something we really practice and we want to always be inclusive of. And, you know, being a part of different organizations from, you know, MBA programs and the African-American Chamber of Commerce really helps us in recruiting some other people as we move down the road. But, you know, when you're starting a business and, and you got guys that are there every day and they're struggling just like you are to make things happen, you know, they need to all be your partners. Uh, that's just that's just my thing about it. I don't I don't have to own it all. OK, it just doesn't make sense. So I make my people part of it and, and we move together. We work together and we fail together, whatever happens. I am laughing nervously because I'm, I think, a lot earlier uh, in That's okay. <laughs> That's building. Okay. Well, I think, here. too, a question for you, Emily, could be thinking about how you serve the, the community that mm -hmm. you're, you know, you have a co-founder mm -hmm. who's not here, but how you together serve the community that you're trying to serve. Yeah, one of the things that I'm thinking about um, 
is that so me and my co-founder met at a women's college uh, where we did undergrad. And I think that's informed a lot of our thinking about the way we talk or the language we use um, on the site and uh, the language that we use when looking for folks to join our team. Uh, we do have um, like three folks who, who are working with us on an ad hoc basis um, and are looking to grow and whatnot. Um, and right now it's all women. And I think um, for us, that feels very natural in some ways and very obvious. Um, and I think that part of the reason that's the case is uh, we had really formative experiences at a women's college where uh, women in leadership positions were very much the norm on campus. Um, and it's something that I didn't appreciate as much when I was in school, I was like, yeah, whatever, all our jocks or ladies like aren't yours. <laughs> um, <laughs> but after graduating uh, and after working for a few years in some male dominated industries in particular, um, really started to, to, to understand uh, what that meant um, for us thinking, not just in entrepreneurship, but like careers more generally, um, what it meant that like we that we had been on a, in a campus environment where the assumption was that we would be in leadership positions as opposed to taking notes at the meeting, maybe, I don't know. Um, so yeah, that is something that we, we think about a little bit. So we are running short on time, but I wanted to give uh, the audience a chance to ask some questions, if there were any. Uh, great, we have one. Jen's going to bring right. the microphone. Hi there. Uh, thanks so much for the time today. Um, so uh, my name is Adam. I'm from Harrisburg, actually. So I'm an out-of-towner. Um, and I run a co-working space, among other things, in Harrisburg. And one of the biggest challenges we face kind of relates back to the fear question um, and even perhaps more uh, the sort of failure question and perhaps more pointedly Emily's response about fear. Um, being the state capital, the vast majority uh, of our residents, neighbors, friends work in state government, higher ed, or for hospitals, um, and not in like the hip meds and eds way that you guys have it here. But <laughs> um, so my question ultimately is, how do we encourage people to take that leap and know that it will be okay? Well, I think the first thing is that it might not be okay, <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> and and I, I think that that you know it's it's uh, it's semantics, but you know it's a it's a back to the question earlier. It, it's okay to fail, right? And I think um, letting people know that uh, if they do start a business and it, it doesn't work out, um, it's not a disgraceful thing, right? It's not It's not necessarily a bad thing. The lessons you learn from that uh, will be valuable in whatever path you take going forward. Uh, and, and so I think that's definitely one thing to emphasize, that people are afraid to fail, um, but just letting them know that failing is is not that big of a deal. We, we live in a pretty forgiving society. I think most people just respect that you you actually went up to bat and, and you tried to do something. And I would say it's, it's easier if you're failing with a bunch of people together. Mm -hmm. So... If, you know, any kind of ecosystem that you can build there, whether it's around, um, right, you know, we had the benefit of IW with Alpha Lab and Alpha Lab Gear, but it could be a co-working space or um, it could be a meetup group um, so that you're talking with other people who are going through the same things that you're going through. And because maybe when you talk to your neighbors, they think, oh, that's crazy what you're doing. Why are you quitting your good job and with health benefits to do this? Um, but if you talk to a group of people who are like-minded, I think that's really important to have that, that community. Also, if I could just give you from my perspective, um, I think there's a lot more resources, which you probably know, in Harrisburg than 
all of those folks are aware of. And I, I feel like even making them aware of those resources from the, the Ben Franklin in central PA and uh, any of the corporations that are looking to be more innovative. I, I feel like there are some resources that are probably just, they need to be marketed better from some of the partners you're working with, right? <laughs> Hi guys, thank you so much for your time today. My name is Yolanda. I am born and raised here in Pittsburgh. Um, I am a budding entrepreneur, have tons of visions and ideas. Question I have for all of you is how did you get people on board with your vision? Um, because I have great dreams and I have very supportive family, very supportive friends and nine times out of 10, they're like, Oh, that's a great idea. But like, how do you get people like, does that make sense? Like, how do you get people to be like, okay, I'm going to walk with you, you know, to, to see your vision come to fruition without them just being like, oh, you go ahead and do it. So how, how did you guys like do that? That's a great question. And it, it's, it, it's, it's, I want to say there's, you know, it's, it's not an art, it's a passion. And in you being able to be passionate about your story and being able to tell it, just like you seem like you have a lot of passion and get the people that buy in. And, you know, it's not, it's not everybody that buys in. Mm. And so you can't let those ones d discourage you or, you know, you feel um, people are, or sometimes people fear failure or because they think people are going to talk about them. Well, if they're talking about you, you're doing something. Mm. So that's a good start right there. Mm. So don't let that passion that you have for your ideas st stop you because somebody doesn't agree with you. Because I got some of my family every day doesn't agree with me, you know, but that's not stopping me from what I believe in because of my passion of why I started this and I know the need for it. So don't you ever stop because of that. So one thing I would say, uh, much more tactically, um, little bite-sized action items. Um, I found people generally want to be helpful, but they don't know how. That's why I love Shine Registry, uh, because it's like, this is the thing I need to make my dream come true. So if you can go to someone and say, I really need an intro to this person, or I really need help with my books, or whatever it might be, little bite-sized things that they can do to help you, uh, because people want to help, but they don't know how to help. Yeah, I'll just add to that, that um, my co-founder became my co-founder after several months of me texting her, asking her for <laughs> advice at many hours of the day, because um, she's a she's a tech tech product manager um, and has a lot of experience that I don't have, um, and we're good, close friends from for years and years, um, and I, I think exactly what you said, like, bringing her in slowly and then... Um, talking incessantly about how great it would be if she did a little bit more. <laughs> um, all those things add up. Um. So I would also say that um, Innovation Works is definitely a place that you should feel comfortable and confident coming to you. Like we're meeting now. I'm going to hit you up. We're going to talk. But we have events. Um, we do an event every month on the third Thursday of the month called Cafe Innovation. It's in the morning, so um, it starts at 8.30, and it goes until 9.30. That's one of the kinds of events you could come to if you could come before work. Um, and we have panels like this of entrepreneurs and other people in the ecosystem to answer questions about everything from HR best practices to how to you know get to an investor. Um, and then our accelerator programs, those usually those events happen at night. So you can come after work, but just getting in connected to the community mm -hmm. and um, 
get on our mailing list and all yeah. those things. Yeah. For all of you. Yeah. 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 And, and just to say the, the way you described for someone walking with you, I think that right. is the, the intent of IW yeah. and that we have office hours and mm-hmm. it can go beyond yeah. being one of our portfolio companies or something right. that's got to accelerators or other resources. Yeah. So it's definitely showing us that you can. Yeah. Even if, you know, it's not the right time for funding, we really, we're all really passionate about what we do. We love working with companies. And so I know I spent a lot of my after work, before work, in the middle of work, coffee time, hanging out with entrepreneurs, helping you get to the next step that you need to get to. So my name's Todd Irwin. I'm from the city of Pittsburgh, born and raised. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I also work full time. So it's a challenge in and itself, but um, everything that I do has flexibility. So it has worked out well for me. Um, one question, I don't know if any of you have experience with co-founding with a spouse because Ooh. I have co-founded multiple businesses and we found success, but we've also founded tremendous challenges with separating personal and business life. So I just wanted to see any experiences or thoughts on, you know, continuing to be successful in that aspect. So, I mean, I can give you my thought as, as not a founder of a company. Uh, <laughs> congratulations. That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I, I give you a lot of credit. Um, I, I think it's probably having outlets outside of both work and even home, right? I mean, I'm not a therapist and I don't want to get into that, but I think each of the panelists talked about things they're involved in outside of uh, the day-to-day work and things that have driven them to entrepreneurship. Jen and I also spoke about things that we're involved in outside of the day-to-day. And I almost think that that would be beneficial uh, to you to give additional ideas and additional understanding of how you might even work together well on an entrepreneurial standpoint, not just as as a couple. But again, that's from my very little experience in entrepreneurship. (laughs) (laughs) We're actually, we've been engaged for four years now because we continue to start businesses and buy investment properties and do things like that. Mm -hmm. We're we're not on anyone else's time, so that has worked well for us. But Mm -hmm. I think what we keep reverting back to is our passion for entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and whether we fight the night before about a business idea, the next morning it's like, wow, let's let's start turning those ideas mm-hmm. out again and let's go breakfast. And we, we rely on that heavily, so yeah, I just thought of That's cute. That. I'm just gonna say it's cute. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know if it's like okay to make a podcast recommendation on a podcast, but the first season of Startup um, from Gimlet uh, has a bit of a narrative about um, uh, it, it's not exactly your situation, but it might be interesting to listen to. We welcome other podcasts being recommended <laughs> because we're podcast listeners. And would you like to podcast? Yeah, I'm exactly. Podcast. No, it's great. We like it. So I want to say thank you to everybody for all of your opinions. I did arrive a little bit late, so I'm not sure if you answered this question. Uh, so please forgive me. So my question is, how do all of you define diversity or inclusion? Mm-hmm. I ask in particular because let us say there is an engineering company that says that we believe in diversity and inclusion. But this engineering company doesn't have a black woman in its employ. It never has. There's no plan for that. And if there is, then she has a role like custodian as opposed to she's a software engineer or a mechanical engineer or even does any work in finance. So how do all of you define diversity and inclusion for your organization? Thank you. That's actually a really great great question. question So for me, I think it's both in 
the people who are making decisions about our product. So that would be people that we're employing, um, that they have a voice. We want very diverse voices going into um, every aspect of our our product, which is hard when you're really small because um, we're, we're right right there now trying to hire women engineers and it's very competitive. Um, if there are any out there, please, we're hiring. Um, so software engineers are really hard to come by, but um, we're trying to do that. But I think the other part of it is looking at our customer base. So we're trying to get, we don't have a lot of customers right now because we're in our alpha, but we are, our usability studies, we make sure we talk to people that are very diverse so that we make sure we get that from the outside too. So it's both, I think it's two-sided for us, mm-hmm. is both the people that we're employing um, and them having voice, but also our customers and making sure we're hearing from a lot of different um, diverse audiences to make sure that we're building what a diverse audience would need. I think it's a great question because, you know, there's no sense of dancing around it. And eight, I mean, out of my eight employees, I mean, majority, almost a majority, we're right at probably almost majority minority owned. I mean, from an equity standpoint, also, even though I include all my partners in decision making abilities and my board members, my board members are very diverse. I have um, minority board members from Highmark, from Allegheny Health Network, from UPMC. They sit on my board that help me make decisions day to day. And um, they talk to me all the time because I need some good advice. But as as my company continues to grow, I will definitely in in because of my background and where I've come from in, in the MBE world is always consider a minority for a job also, just like the Rooney rule in NFL. Mm-hmm. I want to consider a female or a minority that can do the same job. And I think that's important for your company because it's definitely a different perspective than a lot of the things that are happening out here right now. We You got to get that opinion from both sides. Because I, I, I mean, I look at it and, and the message is going out to a company. It could be a female company, be a gas and oil company. And you know, the majority that make up of, of the gas and oil companies that are making a lot of the business, doing a lot of the business. And it could be even in cannabis of using our tool as an impairment tool. But you, you, you've got to diversify your, your team. And it's, it's good and it doesn't hurt. It's just the right thing to do. And, the, and there are qualified minorities out here. I mean, you just got to look. So, to me, that's that's like number one thing on the table as we begin to grow. Yeah, for us, it's it's uh, certainly diversity of background and opinion, but also making sure that our team kind of mirrors that uh, our customer base, right? And and small business owners are disproportionately, especially brick and mortar small business owners, are disproportionately women, right? So it's really important that we have uh, female owners, we have a or excuse me, female employees, and and just diverse employees across the company that that represent our customer base of small business customers. Uh, and, and I think Anne brought up something really interesting earlier too, that you know you can have a, a team that looks very different, but thinks the same way. And that isn't diversity, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that's dangerous. Uh, and, and so it's really important to make sure that you're getting complementary personality types and, and thought processes in the team. Uh, on top of economic, economic and, and, and just background diversity as well. Yeah, I think especially in the context of an inclusive innovation weekend, I mean, we need to be mindful that we're not talking about diversity and inclusion to feel good. We're talking about it because it's important. And uh, in the startup space, it's also really lucrative to, to invest in women and invest in women who or invest in, in anyone who um, 
is underrepresented currently. Um, uh, I have a lot of post-its that I keep up around my desk to like remind me of things. And one of them says, if it's not accessible to the poor, it's not radical and it's not revolutionary. Um, Cause it's new technology is exciting. New companies are exciting. Um, but if it's not accessible to the majority of the population or if it's not accessible or relevant to large shots of the population, it's not really going to be meaningful. And I would say too, on the innovation work side, our, our team and our board um, are diverse and we have plans to make them more diverse. And we, in the same way that when we're looking at our companies who are coming through our accelerators, we have a diverse panel of um, entrepreneurs and different people from our staff who sit on those committees to decide who gets into our programs and who decides who gets funding. Um, our investment committee is very diverse. And we also have a program called Startable Pittsburgh that um, is sort of helping with the pipeline of you know new entrepreneurs. So Startable is a 20, 30, 20? It's a program that happens in the summer. I don't know how many weeks that is. It's a summer program <laughs> it's for- 10 week program. 10 week program. For teens, um, they come from all over the city, all over, how far, like, how far do we go? Out? So, and we have typically, yeah, we have typically too. done uh, students who are primarily in the city and the suburbs just around. And this coming summer, we're actually piloting something in Greene County. Right. So, really looking to engage uh, underserved youth within the city of Pittsburgh mm -hmm. and now also in one of our rural communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, that's another way that, like, we're really trying to help with the pipeline. So, I think a lot of we're all trying to do this work, and I think everyone's sort of trying to do this work, but. I'm always interested in learning more and having, you know, you say, hey, have you thought about this? So um, my email is jvandam at innovationworks.org. I'm on Twitter at Jen with two N's underscore Van Dam. So definitely find me there and ask me questions. And I would like to have the panel remind everybody where they can find you, what your websites are, how they can access your app, your website, your tools. Uh, Shine Registry can be found on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Shine Registry. Uh, you can also reach out to us at info at shineregistry.com. And of course, go to www.shineregistry.com as well. <laughs> yeah, and you can be part of the Invest Local Movement at honeycombcredit.com. Uh, you can sign up for our wait list at loopla.com. I can be found at www.rc21x.com. I could also be found on LinkedIn. And I'd like to give everybody a VIP account that watches this mm -hmm. podcast. It, it's going to be VIPCC2019. And you put that in the referral box and you'll have a free membership to play the Roberto app. That's awesome. I hope it helps you. Thanks so much, everyone. And I guess for me, you can you can find me, you can email me at IW if you'd like. Uh, my email is pretty easy, Pam at innovationworks.org. Uh, and my my email is so easy because my last name is not. And uh, my Twitter is at Pam Eichenbaum. And if you can spell Eichenbaum, I will give you a prize. Uh, <laughs> but so thank you to all the panelists. Thank you to all of you. I learned a lot today. Mm -hmm. I think to ask to answer the the gentleman's question at the end, I think the purpose of this panel was to really talk about the ideas of diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. within the entrepreneurial ecosystem here, how we are achieving success with some of the companies that we're mm -hmm. supporting and working with, and really to continue that conversation of how we can all continue to support diversity and inclusion and engage. Uh, every person within the community within the tech and innovation space. 
And there are certainly challenges and we have to continue to overcome them. We're not perfect. No one is, of course, and, and no community is, but I think we are making strides. Uh, I, I like the value of this summit in that it's a, a week to have the conversation, but it's not the only time that we're having the conversation. At Innovation Works, we're constantly having this conversation and pushing this forward. And as Jen said, we have so many resources. We'd be happy to share them with anyone in the room, entrepreneur, uh, someone who works in tech or, or anything of the sort. So reach out. Uh, and as Jen said before, we are on SoundCloud. This will be pushed out uh, next week. and Wait, Friday. Yes, next Friday morning. Have a cup of coffee or your favorite caffeine and listen. Yes. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Caffeinated Innovation is a product of Innovation Works Inc., a Ben Franklin technology partner. Our theme music is by a startable Pittsburgh alum, Ethan Ziegler, and it's called Bring the Soul. For more episodes, you can find us at innovationworks.org slash caffeinatedinnovation.